Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Caitlin, I can't do this podcast. What? Why? It's just going to lead to another clue, and that's going to lead to another clue, and I've lost 20 years of my life to this, and I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to do the podcast. (laughs) No. That's me cosplaying as John Voight. That was great. Wouldn't it be funny if you're like, I can't do this podcast. It's just going to lead to a spinoff podcast, and that's going to lead to a spinoff podcast. (laughs) Which is how that works. Yeah. And soon enough, we'll have wasted 20 years on this bullshit. Oh, welcome to the first quarantined Bechdel cast. Yes, we are recording separately in separate places. Mm-hmm. Um, we're meeting up over Google Hangouts. Shout and, out. Wow, shout out to Google, my king. <laughs> king Goog. This is going to be the two of us today, and we are doing National Treasure. Yeah, it's, I mean, we figured, you know, it's a tough time. We we got to bust out some of the some of the some of the best movies in American canon to really tide you over during this bizarre time. So, and we also we will be able to have guests um, over Google Hang. Everyone is very quickly adapting to this new and yes. terrifying world we're in. So mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, so we will do some quarantine episodes with guests, um, but for today, it's just the two of us. We really wanted to pick a bit like a really escapist media, get get people's minds off the oh, the pandemic. Is that why we cho- I thought we chose it because it's a very timely critique. Of, I, thought, <laughs> I thought we were like, now more than ever, the content of National Treasure is very relevant I mean, I cannot wait to talk about the socialist ending, sort of, of the movie. Right? The redistribute to the people vibes. You're like, okay, Nick Cage, pretty uh-huh. good. 
Who are you, Bernie Sanders? Uh, God, I mean, I I don't even know where to start with Justin Bartha. I forgot that we... (laughs) I like... My God. We have... So we're going to just have fun today. We we hope that you enjoy the episode. We got very positive feedback when we tweeted that we were going to be doing it. So... Mm. Oh my God, Justin Barthes' Wikipedia picture is literally a headshot from 20 years ago. How embarrassing for him. <laughs> what? Okay. Well, we're talking about National Treasure today, and it's going to yes. be an absolute treat. It will. Yeah, you're welcome, everybody. Um, and if you're, <laughs> <laughs> if you're not familiar with the podcast, this is oh, your right. maybe first episode. I hope so. I hope people are getting into it in the choir. Uh, on, you know, those like... Um, Instagram story templates that are going around where it's like, my favorite podcast is this. The one that makes me laugh the most is this one. And then like some of them are like, the one I just discovered. And a bunch of people have tagged us like under that category is like the one they've just like a podcast they've just discovered. So I think, yeah, there's some newcomers still every every day. Welcome. And that will lead... And that'll lead to another podcast. And that'll lead to another <laughs> podcast. And then we'll be locked in our house for 20 years. There's <laughs> there's so many perfect line reads in this movie. It really boggles the mind. Oh, my gosh. Nicolas Cage. <sighs> what, is, what, what is he doing? Truly an icon. What is he ever doing? That's why we love him. <laughs> So anyway, we uh, we are a feminist movie podcast. We use the Bechdel test as a jumping off point to initiate a larger conversation about representation of women in cinema. The Bechdel test, of course, is a media metric created by cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test, and it requires that two female identifying characters who have been named speak to each other about something other than a man and by our standard it just has to be a two-line exchange so we'll see if national treasure can manage to pass the Bechdel test but uh if you're just listening at home take a wild guess (laughs) (laughs) take a what do you think that that, what do your instincts tell you and then for this movie really trust those instincts (laughs) um there caitlin what is your personal history with national treasure one um i decided to take it upon myself to watch it for the first time maybe like two years ago wow Um, wait i had never (laughs) seen it like we're for sure gonna cover this (laughs) pretty much um you're right yeah, I don't know. I never saw it. I didn't see it in theaters, never saw it growing up, never saw the sequel until, yeah, just a couple of years ago. And I was just like, I wonder if this is any good. I'm going to watch it. And then I watched it and I was like, you know what? This is surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be. But I didn't see this sequel until like yesterday. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to watch that National so Treasure 2. I mean, the scene, I have not seen National Treasure 2. And the scene you sent me is so like, is this going to be the first episode where we have to use audio clips? Because it's literally, yes, you can't describe it, really. (laughs) Let me play the one from the first movie. Oh, you have them both? Yes. Thank God. Here is. Okay, here we go. Okay. Martha. Steal a declaration of independence. Woo! Oh 
my God. He was born to deliver that line. And then, wait, do you have the one from National Treasure yes. 2? So I have the one from National Treasure 2, which is basically a freakishly identical line read <laughs> for an equally wild line. Okay. So, how am I going to get him alone? I'm going to kidnap him. I'm going to kidnap the President of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Incredible. John Voight is in in that scene, too, where he goes, what? Why is John Voight in this movie? I just, like... I mean, I can't with John Voight. Okay, I will say just a couple words when we get into this discussion about National Treasure 2, because we are focusing on the first one, but I, like, Helen Mirren is in it? (laughs) I did know that. What does she do? Oh, just wait. Oh, baby. I'll I'll leave some clues, and then maybe you'll figure out what the clues mean, and then maybe you'll... She is Nicolas Cage's mom, so I'm just giving it away. Okay. So she's, oh, she plays John Voight's his wife? Yes. Well, his ex-wife. His ex-wife. Right. <laughs> but I feel like the the first movie makes you think that she's dead, but she's not. They bring her back to life and it's Helen Mirren. Oh, okay. Because they do, yeah. In the first one, John Voight's like, you need to appreciate the time you have, like the time with your mother. And I'm just like, that's a weird way to describe a divorce right? if that's <laughs> the way like what you should have just been a better husband i don't know uh-huh. and she she addresses that helen mirren is like you were a really bad husband who didn't pay any attention to anyone but your stupid treasure stuff so yeah oh he's this poor family and their <laughs> treasure related trauma it's so <laughs> sad yeah it's tragic so anyway jamie what is your history and relationship with national treasure I love this movie so much. I <laughs> saw it in theaters twice. It's still I oh I was I was twelve when this like I was like yeah I was the target demo for National Treasure. I loved it. My cousins loved it. My brother loved it. My favorite bad movie season of all time, the holiday movie season of two thousand four. You've got Phantom of the Opera. You've got National Treasure. You've got the really bad series of unfortunate events movie. You've got all hitters of like shitty enduring movies that profoundly affected me i (laughs) loved the first national treasure when i tweeted that we were doing this my mom also my mom loved this movie so much to the point where she brought it us to it a second time and Mm -hmm. she had the hots for bartha because she like (laughs) she responded to me with like oh riley pool what a dream boat (laughs) like she loves and she remembered his character's name 500 years later so wow yeah that's impressive that's upsetting jill i yeah i'm (laughs) i don't i think that i had maybe grown out of it by the time the second one came out or something Mm because i didn't see the second one but i loved the first one so much and i like it's one of those weird like childhood movies where i found myself like remembering lines from it like i i for some reason the twist Maybe one of the stupider twists in the movie that has to do with daylight savings time. Yes. You've referred to that on the podcast before. 
I numerous really, times. Yes. Oh yeah. I, like it for some reason really <laughs> stuck with me. And then seeing where it fell and like where in the second act it fell, you're like, that's so stupid. What was the <laughs> point of that? That's so easily, but there's, oh, this movie's like all flash. Like, guess what? Guess what? America, the founding fathers. And then at the end they reveal this stolen treasure. It's all mm-hmm. stolen. Like the optics of the treasure is not good. I mean, that's the case with most of these adventure, like, treasure-seeking narratives. Same with Indiana Jones. It's like, yeah. That's not yours. Hey. Mm-mm. Hey. <laughs> I think um, Dora and the Lost City handles it well. So if, if anyone is out there looking for a kind of adventure treasure movie that does a good job, Dora was a great film, and I loved it a lot. <laughs> so... <laughs> check that out you love mm-hmm. to hear it mm-hmm. uh yeah no it's uh, so uh one of my childhood faves but i hadn't seen it in probably 10 years or something so mm-hmm. but i still remembered too much turns out it's monumental get it monuments <laughs> hey turns out i mean and then looking back now i'm like this was a weird couple of years for justin bartha this was like maybe his biggest role to date at that time and this was uh-huh. maybe his quote-unquote star making i mean if we're calling justin bartha a star which i guess we're not um <laughs> either way national treasure was his first big role of course his smaller role before that being in Gili, which mm-hmm. today was an absolutely cancelable offense but in the early 2000s there were no rules and you could just be in mm-hmm. Gili, and the next year you could be in national treasure and the year after that you could be in failure to launch there were no laws back then it was very different it was chaos so anyways um this movie rules they rules <laughs> And speaking of chaos, uh, let's do the recap. <laughs> oh, how do you re? I do not envy you right now. How does one recap National I Treasure? I did my best. From the writers that brought you Snow Dogs and Bad Boys 2 <laughs> comes this. Yes, the uh, credited screenwriters for this movie are Jim Kof, Cormac Wiberly, and Marion Wiberly. So two men and one woman. I'm glad that there is a female writer on this movie. And I I think that perhaps um, Abigail's character is slightly better written because of her presence. I'm speculating. I I mean, I would hate to see what this movie would be without this. Without one woman. Because she's (laughs) the only woman involved at like the higher level. But I will say that a lot of times that you see a female writer, it's like, it seems like the, qual- like, she, like, I, I don't mean to lessen her role in it. Like, she, it seems like she did a lot of, I mean, it's National Treasure. It's a classic. <laughs> but a lot of times where it's like the one female writer on the team is a part of a husband-wife writing team, as opposed to just being, like, hired on you know right 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 it's just it's a thing that we've the one female writer thing has popped up for us a lot and a lot of times it is because of a husband I don't know I don't feel any particular way about it but I noticed it yeah same anyways so here we go with the story we meet Ben Gates aka Benjamin Franklin Gates um of course, he's named after Benjamin Franklin, Caitlin. My brother, whose name is Ben, was so, I remember, like, he was just like, 
immediately like if someone in a movie has your name you're like yeah that is me yeah i like spit out my drink when christopher Plummer is there as his grandpa like when he's a kid and he's like okay benjamin franklin gates what are you doing up here imagine being christopher Plummer, one of like the best actors ever and then having to say that like it's so (laughs) like it's wild Yes. Okay. So we meet him as a young boy snooping around his, the attic of his house, and his grandfather, Christopher Plummer, comes in, and he's like, What's "His name George Washington Gates. We don't know what his <laughs> name is, right? Um, Paul Revere Gates." And he <laughs> is like, "Okay, you're finally old enough. I'll tell you about like our family history." So he tells him about this ancient treasure that's been passed around century after century. And these guys called the Knights Templar. They're like some old Christian organization that's vaguely scary. Right. They found it. They were kind of protecting it for a while. And then they later became the Freemasons or like a certain chunk of them broke off and became the Freemasons. And some of them were the founding fathers of the United States. And they <laughs> hid the treasure from the British because they're like, fuck the British. We have our colonies now. We're cool. They hid the treasure and they planted all these clues and maps to the treasure in different places. But all these clues eventually got lost or forgotten there's except so for many one. clues they'll just lead to another clue and then the clue need, will lead to another clue years and there'll be no more clues uh also john voight's character's name is patrick henry gates so they literally just the naming convention in this family <laughs> is to just have a founding father and then gates yeah that's all you embarrassing have to do. <laughs> really honestly so embarrassing for them like more to find to have to admit your name is benjamin franklin gates they're <laughs> what an embarrassing family um, okay <laughs> so all the clues have been lost or forgotten except for one and this mm-hmm. one clue is the secret lies with charlotte i remembered this from 500 years ago when this movie came out. I'm like, oh, right. The secret does lie with Charlotte. But it's the place, not the... (laughs) (sighs) And right, so we learn that several generations of Ben's family have been trying to find these clues so they can find the treasure. And it all dates back to like Christopher Plummer's grandfather who like was hanging out with this... I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was like the last surviving member of like the people who'd signed the Declaration of Independence. And he's like, the secret lies with Charlotte. And then with with almost any plot point in this movie, you can end the sentence with like or something. And it doesn't really (laughs) change your interpretation of it. You're like, I don't know, like that the clues are gone or something. And so it's not good. Well, here's something that I just realized in real time here. Okay, so. The clue that they have is the secret lies with Charlotte. And as we're about to find out, Nicolas Cage's character finds the Charlotte. So, like, what were all those generations of families doing? Like, what clues are they talking about? Because, like, he just goes from that one clue that they have and he finds the Charlotte. But, like, what are all these other, like, how do they waste? Weird to believe that they have been looking for this treasure for hundreds of years and have really not gotten past the first clue. Right. 
right? So, right. What are all these clues that John Voight is talking about when he's like, and that'll lead you to another clue. Like, which clues? <laughs> but, like, Ben Gates is just going off of that one clue and he finds the Charlotte. Like, what are what are they talking about? Where has he been snooping around for all these centuries? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. Really understand it, but I do think it's fun. I mean, I want to believe that screenwriter Marianne Wiberly is making commentary here on male mediocrity and saying that <laughs> because it has to do with the Knights Templar and especially the Freemasons, which still doesn't allow. Well, I have that in context corner, but like mm. a a group uh, famously hostile towards women. It's just been these guys fumbling around <laughs> looking for what Charlotte could mean for for <laughs> 200 plus years. Do you think they like went into shopping malls and they're like, the secret lies with Charlotte, Charlotte Ruth. Charlotte Ruth. I thought that maybe oh, <laughs> we're on the same wave. Like that was like the secret lies with Charlotte Ruth. The secret lies with Charlotte from sex in the city. Oh, could be. The secret could lie with uh, Kristen Davis. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. These are things people don't think about. And if they if they had asked a woman, they would have been like, have you considered Charlotte Ruse? <laughs> <laughs> if you had asked, a, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's something to consider. It is indeed. Okay. So we cut to Ben as an adult. He has grown up to be Nicolas Cage. And he <laughs> is searching for... Charlotte, which turns out to be a ship buried in the ice in the Arctic. And they explain how that would have happened, but I don't understand. Or something. Yeah, it right. doesn't matter. <laughs> he has his, I guess, is this his apprentice? Like, who is Riley to him? It's like what? his little sidekick. He is basically the animal sidekick. <laughs> Think of Riley as like a little animated squirrel. Right. Voiced by Justin Bartha. He basically serves the same function. He's like a sexless creature who delivers punchlines. Right. Because I always, this is a Disney movie and I, we cannot forget that. I think that they are using the Disney Renaissance formula, but they're like, well, we can't get an animated creature. But Bartha's available. And <laughs> Bartha's the next best thing. So they got him in the mix. I think that Justin Bartha actually does. Like, he still does make me giggle a couple times. I think they let him improvise a little bit. I like when he says, this car smells weird. Uh, <laughs> and I remember when I was a kid cracking up at the end when they find the treasure. He's like, it's a tall, bluish, greenish man with a strange goatee. <laughs> And then he hugs him. And then he hugs. I'm like, Bartha's funny, but he is just a little like cartoon assistant. Yeah. And speaking of like people who cannot be critical of others' goatees, Justin Bartha's goatee in this movie is glaring. Did they give him that facial hair? It's so weird. I think that they just are like, no, he's an adult, you know, because he just looks, he has such a baby face. (laughs) May, I don't know. But like in the first scene when they're in the Arctic, he has like just kind of like a five o'clock shadow, but then by the next scene when they're in like the Library of Congress or whatever, he has they've shaved goatee. it down, but it's bare. It's still just like stubble. It's not like a full beard. It's so weird. It sucks, I and d- it never why? goes away. It sucks. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Riley Poole is there with Ben in the Arctic. So is 
Ian, that's Sean Bean's character, and then like one or two of his friends. Yep. So they find the Charlotte, this ship, and they go into it. And the next clue they find on a pipe, and the clue is a riddle that Ben figures out. Or something. Must mean that there is a map, an invisible map, on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And then we're like, woohoo! <laughs> this rules! This is the best day of my life. There's a map on the back of... I wonder, do you think this... Okay, well, actually, I, I kind of know the answer. But this seems like the part that Nicolas Cage was born to play. But I, I don't, was, what, do you know, was he the original? I mean, he was, I know that he ended up being cast in 03, but this project was in development in the late 90s as well. I'm like, I wonder who else was considered for this part? Because I can't picture literally anyone else on the planet playing Benjamin Franklin Gates <laughs> than Nick Cage. And I don't mean that as a compliment. I just can't think of anyone else who could do, who could do well, it. Well, okay, so they're clearly pulling a lot from Indiana Jones, except character-wise. Like, in no way yeah. does Nicolas Cage and his character Benjamin Franklin Gates resemble indiana jones at all and i and i and i think that that is a compliment <laughs> uh yes yeah, sure but like nicholas cage isn't the type of like he's not an action star but for some reason he keeps getting cast in action movies it's a beautiful mistake of history that like one of the f strangest men to be born <laughs> has been pegged as an action hero for some reason right I cannot make sense of it, but like, I don't know who else was considered. I truly don't know why they ended up casting Nicolas Cage in this role. But I'm also, I'm similarly confused by Tom Hanks being cast as the what's-his-face character from The Da Vinci Code. Sully. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the, whatever, that, that movie, ugh. I read that whole book and was like this is amazing and then the movie hucked in spite of alfred molina's involvement right alfred molina is in it he's fully in it he's back in the robes baby you gotta get molina in the robes well the da vinci code and angels and demons are basically like national treasure but in europe so, you know, it's the same type of narrative and weird casting choice, I think, with Tom Hanks. Weird casting choice, I think, with Nicolas Cage. I but, don't know. But can you, who could you picture playing Benjamin Franklin Gates? Who could you picture well. saying, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence <laughs> with such conviction? Oh, sure. Okay, so the, so the way this script is written, yes, only Nicolas Cage can do it. I think if they had... <laughs> Written another draft for, for, someone, for a normal for a person. Cooler, for a normal person. <laughs> it, it would have gone differently. Not like the other boys. I want, okay, really quick, just because we are in, in the choir, I wanted to say that Freddie Molina has been posting the nicest quarantine content to his Finsta. Aww. I love it so much. Here's my fave post. So it's a, the picture is this it's uh, Freddie's easy chair with a pile of books next to it caption says stay at home and avoid close contact please actors have been doing that for generations 
and then it's the drama emoji and then it's the film clapper emoji and then it's a heart and i'm like you know what we are gonna be fine he's amazing what a what a funny guy why do the imagine parody when you could just post that you know <laughs> ridiculous right? Freddie would never participate in something like that. And that is partially why um, he's one of the only men allowed on the show. Mm hmm. Anyways. Um, well, that feels like a good place to take a break, even though <laughs> we're in the middle of the recap. But, you know, it's unhinged here it's unhinged. in quarantine Bechtelcast land. So we're <laughs> all out of sorts. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back, and we've got more recap to do. Yeehaw. Okay, so Ben has just figured out there must be an invisible map on the back of the Declaration of Independence 
And then Sean Bean's character, you'll never believe this, but he turns out to be a bad guy because 99% of the time Sean Bean is playing the bad guy. Well, except for when he's in Game of Thrones. That's true. That's one of the few uh, exceptions. But he's normally the bad guy, and this movie is no exception. And he says, well, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what is that hairpiece? That hairpiece, it took me 20 minutes to realize it was Sean Bean because of that weird blonde hairpiece they, like, super glue to his scalp. <laughs> it's really bad. Wait, I just assumed, is that just not his real hair? If it is, he's in deep trouble. I like that. I have to believe that that's not his real hair, or it's the weirdest dye job I've ever. It's a bad cut. I mean, I know that he's like a natural blonde. Yeah. Well, sound off in the comments, but I think I'm just really bad at telling when someone's wearing a wig. I just assume everyone's hair is their actual hair. I don't know. Now, now that I'm looking at his natural hair, I'm like it could be his natural hair, but if so, like for shame on whoever was styling these actors because they gave Justin Bartha that goatee and Sean Bean that haircut. I mean, Nicolas Cage's hair is Well, but when has that been good? I mean, it was fine in Moonstruck, I think, but it was. like maybe since the late 80s, he's had some really weird... Is he, are those hair plugs? Is that, what, is that what's happening? I think he's rocking some plugs in that treasure. I also have <laughs> curiosities about... Because this is a produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. It's a Bruckheimer joint. So that brings veneers uh, the into veneers. the mix. Because if, you ha- if you're new to the show... We can't stop talking about it. Jerry Bruckheimer famously, along with Lauren Michaels, makes his actors get veneers. And I was keeping an eye on it. And I mean, Cage for sure has veneers. I think it's hard to say whether Bruckheimer was involved or whether he got them of his own volition. (laughs) Diane Kruger, I don't know. She may just have gorgeous naturals. Uh, mm-hmm. Sean Bean for sure veneers and Justin Bartha another person who's a kind of in the air for me but Bruckheimer sure. does not let nary a crooked tooth on a set mm-hmm. he will yank them out and throw in some porcelain <laughs> ones like it's just it's very dark the reality of a Bruckheimer set I can't even imagine <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, okay, so, you know, we've got Nick Cage. He's got his weird hair. He's got also in the second movie, at least in the first movie, his hair looks passable because he has some small sideburns, but they shave his sideburns in the second movie. So he just has this weird, like, mop with no it's so weird you jamie i insist you watch national treasure 2 i really want i mean based on that clip alone (laughs) right um incredible it's out of control and his hair is somehow worse anyway (laughs) so benjamin franklin gates is like you can't just steal the declaration of independence and sean bean is all like well i want treasure so they have an altercation about it. There's this big explosion. There's a bunch of gunpowder. Then they all kind of run away and part ways. And Ben and Riley have to warn a bunch of government agencies that the Declaration of Independence is going to be stolen. Yeah. Including, they tell, Abigail Chase. And she works at, like, the National Archives I think so. Building? I think, I wonder... <laughs> 
I'm curious about the historical accuracy. I'm like, is her office really just behind the Declaration of Independence? Is that <laughs> a, a location that exists? I don't know. I don't know either. It didn't seem real. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, she's there and she works in the archives and um, she doesn't believe them. No one believes them. So Ben is like, well, I guess we have to steal the Declaration of Independence for ourselves. Love it. He wants to steal it to protect it from Sean Bean before he can get to it. Mm -hmm. So then there's this heist sequence and they successfully steal the Declaration of Independence. But Abigail is suspicious of Ben while this is happening. And this is all happening during a gala. And she's kind of tailing him. And then Sean Bean is also there trying to steal the document. And then there's this big chase scene with Ben, the bad guys, and Abigail. They fling her out of a truck. Oh, my. It's a whole thing. She's damseled, and then she's damseled kind of for a second time. She's double kidnapped. (laughs) Right. So Ben saves her, a.k.a. he kidnaps her from her previous kidnappers. And he and Riley and Abigail get away with the real Declaration of Independence. And Abigail is understandably very mad that they stole it. Mm -hmm. But they're like, stop yelling. There's so much to talk about with that sequence. Um, (laughs) But basically, she refuses to let it out of her sight. So she agrees to go with them to Ben's father's house. Enter John Voight, which for context, during his difficult years with his daughter, Angelina, mm-hmm. who, by the way, okay, so another movie or another franchise that is very similar to National Treasure is Lara, Lara Croft, Croft, Tomb Raider. John Voight plays basically the, the opposite, character. Char- the same, but the opposite in the sense that in Lara Croft, John Voight's character is dead, but he loves treasure hunting and he loves the clues. He loves leaving clues behind. That's all true. that. In National Treasure, he's alive and he is so over the clues. He doesn't want any part of it. He's like, um, actually, treasure is over. He's <laughs> so sick of treasure. He makes all these weird claims to like... I, I also, another John Voight line that I remembered from this movie for some reason is when he invites everyone in and he says something sexist at the door and then he lets them, <laughs> and then he, he lets, it's also, it's like the most frustrating kind of misogynist line because it doesn't even make sense where you're like, no, I don't even know where this is coming from, but he lets them in and then he's like, so there's pizza in the other room and you're like, what is that line? Like, what? <laughs> How, why does John Voight have enough pizza for four people cooling off? <laughs> and then Justin Bartha's like, yum, yum. Some of that. <laughs> well, because he's a squirrel. He's the little animal. He's a creature. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. The first draft, in the first draft of National Treasure, Justin Bartha's character is a little squirrel. I love pizza. No, 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 no. poor justin bartha i mean whatever if you see his performance in Julie, you'll never feel bad for him again that's true (laughs) oh my god his character is so weird it's so weird anyway so yeah they go to john void's house yes they go to john void's house and then they use 
lemon juice. It's literally invisible ink <laughs> that you would use in like the fourth grade. I know. <laughs> and they bring it out by using lemon juice and hair dryers and they reveal this secret code that is on the back of the document. And it turns out to be a cipher but they need these letters, the silence do good letters or something that were written by Benjamin Franklin, the original, not Benjamin Franklin Gates. Oh, so frustrating. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I love it. I hope that they, like there's National Treasure. Like I think National Treasure 3 is allegedly happening. I've heard that, yes. But I hope that it's like there's like now another kid in the mix and it's like James Madison Gates <laughs> needs to steal like George Washington's teeth because there's a map inside. <laughs> I mean, I think that if that's not the plot, then someone in Hollywood is fucking up. <laughs> okay, so they're like, okay, we need the the silence, do good letters, but... John Voight does not have them anymore because he donated them because he thinks treasure hunting is silly. He's over it. Treasure hunting made him a bad father. <laughs> right. And now he, and he's making amends by apparently never hanging out with his son. So now Ben, Riley, and Abigail have to go to the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia to decipher the code using these letters. That leads them to the Liberty Bell and Independence Hall. And it's also at this point in the story when Ben and Abigail start vibing. Ah, it's like <laughs> in a dressing room. Right. In an Urban Outfitters. They literally <laughs> are every other like a Forever 21 being like, so like, what's your story? You're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, also in this has already been happening but um harvey keitel is in the movie yeah. and he is i think is he fbi i don't know he's leading the investigation to find ben and recover the declaration of independence i like i like harvey keitel and he's in it just enough mm -hmm. you almost forget he's in it and then he's in it again and then he's gone for an hour and you're like this movie is also too long for what it is it's it over is two long. hours long yes far too long also, Harvey Keitel is kind of playing the same exact character that he played in Thelma and Louise, where he's like law enforcement, but he's also like, but I want to be your friend. Like, I'm trying to help you. Help help me help you. Harvey Keitel has good has like big not all cops energy. And I'm like, I don't know how productive this is. Right. <laughs> like this doesn't seem like I'm I'm not on board with it. But then when you put Harvey Keitel in the mix, you're like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's confusing. Also, I wanted to just quickly shout out Diane Kruger, a woman that only existed for about three or four years, and then she disappeared. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen her in really anything else. She actually has, but I'm not giving her enough credit, but she, I, I remember her from um, Inglorious Bastards. She's in that. Um, she was also in a movie I never have seen and never will, but Troy comes out the same year. At I did see that. Yeah, I saw that in theaters. That's the, that's what I was seeing in 2004. <laughs> so she, she was Helen in Troy. Oh, Helen of Troy. Got it. <laughs> yeah. She started the whole war. It's all, it's all women's fault. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so she was like a, she was a big thing in like, the mid 2000s but she's still she's still working she um i don't mean to downplay her talent but she this was like i think peak 
her her like this and and inglorious bastards were her two like big moments so far is she from germany she is yeah it seems like i wonder if they kind of reverse engineered the character to be for her because she is german-american she like started as a model and then got cast as helen of troy and then unlike some model actors uh ended up being a pretty like a, a solid actor and is a still wor- a working actor now nice good for her there you go i ask because so she has an, a german accent that ben gates detects when he first meets her but that interaction is so weird because it's so weird. he says oh your accent are you pennsylvania dutch and pennsylvania dutch for anyone who doesn't oh, yeah, know, you know, refers to Amish people. I'm pretty sure. So he's asking her if she's Amish. <laughs> and then she's like, no, Saxony German or something. Like, why does he think she's Amish or why does, I don't know. It, I was just like, am I, maybe I'm missing something or maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but I'm just like, <laughs> there's no such thing in this movie. Like that was a very bizarre. And I mean, that whole interaction is, it. it is unfortunately the most, like one of the more empowering moments for, for Abigail where you're like, oh, she's in charge of the scene. She's telling Nick Cage that what he's asking for is unreasonable and stupid. Mm-hmm. But he's still, oh, God. And then when he, oh, my favorite line in the movie that I'm like, what is this? Is when, you know how he like sends her whatever, the campaign button that oh, she didn't yes. or something. <laughs> he sends her something that she wanted and is like, hey, babe, good talking to you today. LOL. Love Paul because he's Paul in right. this scenario. Paul Brown. But when that arrives, it's one of the only interactions with two women in the entire movie. Yes, it's like yes. her, I think her receptionist mm-hmm. brings it to her. And then what does she say? She says, I have it written down. She's like, "Ugh, what is this? I hope it's not from Stan. Stan. And you're like, who's Stan? And why are you, why? They, the fact that they went through the trouble of writing that line down and we never find out who Stan is Mm-mm. or why she can't get rid of him. Is he an ex? Is he a creep? Like, what is his? Right, especially because like, if we or if we used like the metric of the Bechdel test that like we didn't need to know the character's name because I don't think we learn her assistant's name, but we like they do have an interaction where the assistant is like, "This just came for you," and then Abigail responds by saying, "I hope it's not from Stan." But if she, I know she ruined, she ruined like w- that could have passed the like that small interaction like by someone else's standards. That maybe could have passed, but like for no reason, <laughs> she's like, but I have to mention a man's name. Yeah, like writers would rather invent a fictional male character, like a person that, I mean, they're all fictional, but like a character that never appears on screen or is referenced again. And that's why it doesn't pass the easy Bechdel test. <laughs> right. Bechdel test light. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, uh, I was really, fa- I was, and then I paid really close attention to the rest of the movie seeing if Stan ever comes up he doesn't i don't think so no 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 (sighs) good grief all right well anyway so they're in philadelphia now and ben finds a pair of old-timey 3d glasses that benjamin franklin the real energy invented and he looks through them and sees a clue on the back of the declaration of independence about a wall here at the wall but they don't know what that means yet And Sean Bean and his goons 
are right there. They're right on their tail. They chase them on foot. And then Sean Bean manages to get his hands on the Declaration of Independence. And then Mm -hmm. this is when Harvey Keitel catches up with Ben Gates and arrests him. And, you know, because it's the low point of the movie, honey. Yeehaw. Then Sean Bean arranges for Ben to meet him. What is Sean Bean's character? I think it's Ian. Ian. Ian arranges for Ben to meet him in New York with the glasses so that he can get the treasure. And they all go to a church on Wall Street. And John Voight is also there now because I guess he's been kidnapped by the bad guys. Mm -hmm. But when they go to the tomb where they think the treasure is going to be, it's empty. And Ben and his dad are like, oh, well, the lantern, that must be another clue we have to go to Boston and Sean Bean's like, okay, I'm going to Boston. And, but they, he leaves. Going to Boston. <laughs> He's shipping out to Boston. Uh, <laughs> a la the dropkick Murphy's. Swish. Um, <laughs> but he traps Ben and his friends and leaves them behind. So while Sean Bean is gone, Ben is like, psych, the treasure is here. And then Justin Barthes is like, oh, because he's a squirrel (laughs) he makes (laughs) yes 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 um (laughs) and then so they hit some like wall buttons and they reveal a secret door that leads to the treasure room but oh no it's also empty but then they're like wait this can't be it there's got to be treasure here and then they find like a thing on the wall and they put the pipe in it and that unlocks the door to the real treasure room which is enormous and it's mm-hmm. full of treasure, and everyone's like, yay, we did it. And then this is also the, I mean, we know the whole time that, like, like 80% of movies, it's signaled very clear to us that ultimately, this is a movie about fathers and sons. Right? <laughs> yes. John Voight's like, oh my god, I'm so proud of you. You're so cool, Ben. You're so smart. You did it. Dads in the audience start tearing up like, uh, I wish he had said that to me. <laughs> um, and then Ben calls Harvey Keitel, who also turns out to be a Freemason. Interesting. Right. Which you're like, weird reveal. Does that pay off in National Treasure 2 at all? Or is that just kind of a thing that happens? Sort of because he does. Harvey Keitel is back for the sequel, baby. Everyone is Everyone's back. Everyone's back. Everyone's right? back. Yep. I mean, Bartha for sure is back. He's got nothing better to do. He's, he's not doing anything. Sean Bean is not back uh, because he gets put in jail. Spoiler alert. But he gets replaced with Ed Harris. <gasps> that's a that's a, well no no offense to Bean but that's an upgrade. I think that <laughs> honestly National Treasure is a of all the jokey ways that we insert Alfred Molina into various cinematic universes. I feel like his absence from the National Treasure extended universe is actually glaring. It is noticeable. This yes. seems like a franchise he would be involved in. I think either as like a professor who helps reveal a clue or if he goes Molina villain which we love to see but I know why I I want to say that Molina was offered Bean's part but Mm -hmm. you know and I know what Alfred Molina was doing in 2004 was he being um Doc Ock 
or change. Yeah, he had bigger fish to fry that year, honey. <laughs> but I'm just saying for National Treasure 3, it's not too late. And he does, this does seem to me like a franchise that he would get offers within. He'd thrive. Right. Well, because he's in Raiders of the Lost Ark playing. And he's in the Da Vinci Code. Co- yeah. Right. Wow. This is his vibe. Like he, if he is not in National Treasure 3, something is seriously wrong. Mm-hmm. Unless he's, of course, starring in the Rasputin movie that I will be writing and directing. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. So so Ben calls Harvey Keitel. He turns up out to be a Freemason. And Ben is like, don't put me in jail. Also, this treasure should be donated to museums all over the world. Give it back to the people. Also, send Sean Bean to prison instead of me. And then Harvey Keitel is like, cool beans. You got it, dude. <laughs> That's he's literally <laughs> what he says. Direct it's, quote. He's like, cool freaking beans. <laughs> then we cut to um, Ben and Abigail. They are together. They're holding hands. They're kissing. They've negotiated that Ben and Riley each get a small percentage of the treasure. I think they they split 1%, but that was enough to allow Ben to buy an enormous estate. Riley has bought a very nice car. He thinks they should have gotten more of the treasure. Mm-hmm. Well, and also Riley only got credited as an assistant, which doesn't necessarily seem fair. It seems like he was doing I half mean, the work. It's better than what Abigail gets, which is no credit at all. I know. Well, that's true. They were like, just don't fire her. Yeah. And I'm like, are you? Oh, I have a whole spiel about that. But yeah. um, let's take another quick break and then we'll come right back to discuss something that makes me crazy is when people say well i had this career before but it was a waste and that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now this is she pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Where do we start? (laughs) I mean, Abigail is the bulk of the discussion Mm -hmm. to be had here. Abigail, I mean, it's, I feel like very typical of this franchise, which is like, this is like action for kids, but it's still an action movie, basically. Mm-hmm. But in like many action franchises, uh, there is one female character who is vaguely written to seem vaguely empowering, but ultimately kind of isn't. And then she never has a woman to talk to. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that habit trend mistake is held up in national treasure oh is it yes indeed um because and i feel like like down to kind of i almost want to see if you can map out like how this happens because i feel like this i mean shout out if you have any similar people that you can think of in this genre but the fact that she is at first presented to us as hyper competent and in a place of authority but that's the only scene where Mm -hmm. that is ever so it's almost like this like whatever trick that writers will kind of play on you where they're like oh she is really good at her job she's really empowered she has a expertise that is needed for this mission but you're never going to see her in a leadership role again she's never going to impact the plot in a meaningful way and the next time you see her she's going to be damseled so Mm -hmm. I, i feel like this does happen i mean does that happen in the indiana jones franchise as well Definitely, especially in the like the first in the third one, the female characters in those are presented as being like there's kind of a reason that they end up being the woman in the story because for the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Marion Ravenwood has the medallion that he needs, so like that's mm-hmm. why he approaches her, and then that's like they get partnered up from there in Last Crusade. Dr. Schneider, she's uh-huh. like a professor of antiquities or some kind of some expert in the field of antiquities and she links up with Indiana Jones because she is also looking for the Holy Grail. In the second movie, like the the one female character in that movie just gets like dragged along by accident. It it's frustrating. I feel like it is kind of like almost a a little magic trick that writers will do to ward off the feminists <laughs> to be like, no, we do know what her job is, which is good, but bare minimum shit. And like, yeah, she is good at her job, which is good, but it's bare minimum shit. And then she's relegated to the sexy sidekick role, who hangs out with the squirrel, right? 
Exactly, because so she's the only major female character in the story, which is very typical of this genre. She is only important to the story because she gets dragged along, not because like she made any real active choice to be a part of the story. She gets like literally dragged into the scenario, which she Mm -hmm. acknowledges in the movie um, in that line where you know, John Voight's like, oh, did my son drag you guys into this? And she's like, yes, literally. (laughs) Um, But like, that's not good enough, really. That doesn't excuse that being the reason that she's there. Um, And then, like you said, like she's, she, we know what her job is. She's good at her job. She has this expertise in historical documents and U.S. history, I guess. And that is occasionally shown, but... But it's never information that Nicolas Cage doesn't already know. know. Yeah, like they they literally recite information in unison at multiple points. Right. Because so that I found that really frustrating on the rewatch because I'm like, oh, she does know stuff, but then as you keep watching, you're like, but it's nothing he doesn't know already, and so it's another empty gesture. So she does nothing to ever propel the story forward, and the one time where I was like, oh, she kind of does something that he doesn't or can't do it's when she puts the lemon juice on the back of the declaration of independence because she's like he was about to do he he would have been able to do he just like might have done it a little more haphazardly than her but like and john voight is the one to know is the one who knows how invisible ink works and he's like you have to apply heat and then they do that sexy breathing flirtatious creepy thing they go And then you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> gross. Uh, what does Nicolas Cage's breath smell like? Ew, oh, my God. Um, I don't want to think about imagine, it. I mean, Diane Kruger, please report from the trenches. Like, what does Nicolas Cage's <laughs> breath smell like? Um, yeah, so that ended up being an empty gesture, too, because it's like he, it's presented like he lets her do it. She literally just swabs lemon juice onto it and then doesn't know to breathe on it. So, right. Yeah. And, and I mean, the only times that she impacts the story, I mean, they're all easily written out because it's like it, you could write out her being kidnapped by Sean Bean and then unkidnapped by Sean Bean and nothing would really change. Mm-hmm. She is the one. I mean, I guess it's like her mistake or her like panic during the chase that loses them the declaration. So something's her fault. And then, right, but that's like her being that's a passive thing on her, exactly. Like, she trips, which right. is like that has nothing to do with her. And then, the payoff we get for that is Nick Cage later says, It wasn't your fault, and then he surprise kisses her after. <laughs> okay, yes, so I kind of want to go through just sort of like beat by beat every story point that she is involved in and what exactly happens. Starting with the way she's introduced, which is another case of like the person you thought was going to be a man is actually a woman. Because what happens here is Ben and Riley are waiting outside of Dr. Chase's office. They don't know who Dr. Chase is or what gender Dr. Chase is, but they assume Mm -hmm. that Dr. Chase is a man. Feminist icons. (laughs) Right. The assistant comes out and says, Dr. Chase, we'll see you now. And this is in the middle of Riley making a comment about, you know, being kept down by the man. The door to the office opens, revealing that Dr. Chase is a woman. And then Riley Uh. is like, a very cute man. Because he's like, kept down by the man. A very cute man. Ooh. (laughs) And then you're like, okay, squirrel, that's enough. (laughs) 
All right. So next thing that happens is we're at the night of the gala when Ben is trying to steal the Declaration of Independence. He's like handing her a glass so that he's able to get her fingerprints later. And then Riley is like on the little like earpiece on his like calm link or whatever. He's Riley is a hacker. <laughs> he's a he's, hacker. Right, right, right. He's got he's the whole hacker. setup. He's in a tr- separate truck or something. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, Ben is talking to Abigail and Riley is like, who's that? Is that that hot girl? How does she look? And we're just like, you're like, can you relax, squirrel? Like, please. He also later says that mean declaration lady is behind you. And it's like, why do you think she's mean? Like she was just doing her job by not letting you look at the Declaration of Independence. That whole scene of them like like ping pong negging her and calling her annoying and telling Telling her to shut up like oh. I have some of them written down because yes it's same. so egregious because it's like we know as human beings that she was just kidnapped by Sean Bean flung out of a truck and then <laughs> kidnapped by Nicolas Cage and she has to protect the Declaration of Independence she's having <laughs> a horrible day and so yes. she's allowed to say anything she wants but it's like Nick Cage the second she gets into the truck immediately begins nagging her um he says she really can't shut her mouth, can she? And then later, he once they're parked, he lets her hold the in- Declaration of Independence. He's like, "You can hold this if you promise to shut up." Yes, there's so m- I have them all written down. At first, Hit he it. says, "Can you please stop shouting?" She's yelling, "Give me that!" Referring to the Declaration of Independence. He says, "You're still shouting, and it's really starting to annoy. You would do well <laughs> to be a bit more civilized in this instance." He also says when he says to annoy and not annoy me that is low-key an iconic nick cage moment where <laughs> yes. he's like and it's starting to annoy you're like oh what you're like where Anyways. did you learn to be a person okay yeah <laughs> who taught you <laughs> oh yeah and then you're like wait he's an nepotism who knows right 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 um then she is continuing again understandably to like She's freaking out. She's yelling. She swears in German. And then he says, you're shouting again. And Riley's like, pretty sure she's swearing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Riley's also loving it. No one stands up for her. Riley's like, tee-hee-hee, Nick Cage is epic. Like, <laughs> I love him. <laughs> I love him. I want him to be my best friend forever. <laughs> um, and then later when Ben is telling her about the silence do good letters, He keeps saying, you know, quiet, please. Now, shush. She really can't keep her mouth shut, can she? Yeah, I'll I'll let you hold on to this if you promise to shut up, please. She's like reacting appropriately. And he just nonstop says, shut up a hundred times. He's so and and then and then he like mentions it as a pro later when she's like, fake working with sean bean and he's like (laughs) she never shuts up but by then he's like means it in a way that he's like i love my girlfriend who never shuts the fuck up like he says it in a different context right equally insulting (laughs) and also patently untrue (laughs) like she's never like it's she's not a blabbermouth she's not given enough lines to be considered one she's just like upset that she's just been kidnapped twice in a row by people who are actively trying to steal the deck like she's responding appropriately and then they're just like wow this shrill woman will not shut the fuck up about being kidnapped and me stealing the declaration of independence 
Jeez what a bitch. She, she's presented as a bitchy obstacle at first. She Oh, she's fully presented as a bitchy obstacle, but then she becomes a complacent sidekick. Mm-hmm. And then the love interest. And then the love. Yeah. So like it's it's bad. There's that weird line we've already referenced that when she, Ben and Riley go to John Voight's house, John Voight answers the door and is like, <laughs> what are you doing here in the middle of the night? Is she pregnant? I'm like, you don't even know who this person <laughs> is. Like, Why what are you talking about? to that conclusion? <laughs> he, he like pole vaults to that weird conclusion. And Nick Cage, instead of saying, what are you talking about? Nick Cage is like, well, if she is, do you want to let the woman carrying your future (laughs) grandchild stand outside in the cold? And you're like, what is this family? This family is so (laughs) fucked up. They make no sense. And then he has pizza for four inside. Like, he's just like so weird. And then, yeah, he just lets his dad think that he's had sex with this poor woman who he's been screaming at all night to shut up. And... And then instead of having her character reply logically, they write in the line, do I look pregnant? Yeah. And then you're like, come on, you're going to make fun of this German supermodel's body? Like, what? What What about the rest of us? Like, it's just, ugh. ugh. And then from that scene on, she is love interest sidekick. Mm -hmm. And that is how she is portrayed. We don't really ever learn any more about her character, except that she said, I love you to more than one person. Right. Which is a cutie little fact. They, Mm -hmm. they learn that at the urban outfitters that they fall in love. Oh, maybe one of them was that Stan guy. And maybe it was Stan. Stan. (laughs) I'm also like, maybe she and Stan were trying to work shit out. And uh, Ben, swoops in benjamin franklin benjamin franklin mr steal your girl gates (laughs) swoops in some other stuff that happens to her uh she needs to be saved again when the bad guys are chasing after them the declaration of independence gets flung out of her hand onto the street she runs after it and almost gets hit by a truck and then riley has to grab her and get her out of the way And then a short time later, when they're in the tomb in the church, they're like all filing in. They're kind of being held hostage by Sean Bean and the other bad guys. And there's this moment where Mm -hmm. like Abigail walks in front of Ben and he grabs her and says, come here, pulls her toward him and then surprise kisses her. Uh, It's so like that bothers me on a number of levels the first obviously being it's an egregious surprise kiss the second being that i strongly suspect that that was like a studio note Mm -hmm. because it it is connected to nothing else going on it's almost like the screenwriters were told we need them to kiss before this part because mm-hmm. other than that, it's prompted by he just grabs her and he's like, oh, right. We forgot. Jerry Bruckheimer wants us to kiss. And then they kiss. <laughs> and then it's and then it you don't find out. And then that's it. That's also. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's the kiss of the movie. That's it's the, the most kiss. wedged in surprise kiss of any kind, surprise or not. Most wedged in kiss I've ever seen in a movie. Absolutely. It's just like. And I mean, God love Diane Kruger, like the most passionless kiss yes you'll ever see in your life she does not i think that she's like i cannot believe i have to do this at what cost will i be a star like (laughs) (laughs) they have no chemistry even a little bit nope 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 well 
You hate to see it. Um, okay, yeah, so then after this kiss, they are in the tomb. The stairs are starting to crumble under them as they're like making their way down into the treasure room. There is a moment where Ben Gates like slips and falls and he's like hanging by something and she's like, here, give me your hand. So she kind of saves him, but that is immediately undone by a moment later. She falls and then he has to grab her and pull her up and save her. So she has to be saved three different times in this movie by either And there's that moment ben where he Riley. drops her. Oh, right. He drops her on that like platform. <sighs> He's like, do you trust me? And it's like, what is this, Aladdin? Right. I felt the same way. But then <laughs> it's not really like that because he drops her, presumably to her death. She d- she makes a hard fall on wood that there is no way on earth Nicolas Cage could be sure would save her. I know. It was rickety down there. So by a miracle of screenwriting, she survives. And uh-huh. then afterwards he does i mean nick cage does apologize to her several times in the movie and he's like sorry i dropped you i had to save the declaration of independence and instead of first of all incredible line and incredible delivery (laughs) yes but then instead of her responding logically she's like horny by the fact that he dropped her to her death and she's like it's fine i would have done exactly the same thing if i if it were me and then he's like (laughs) really and then that's and you're like what the fuck is going on that reminds me of the moment i think they're in philly still and they're deciding Uh to split up because like sean bean and his like cronies are looking for them they're being british (laughs) they're they're being british because they have to keep the treasure away from the british because it's 300 years ago and we still care about that (laughs) for some reason god exhausting anyway so um ben is like all right i'll take the glasses and like the container and i'll go this way and abigail has the actual declaration and ben says take care of her now riley thinks that ben is talking to him about abigail abigail thinks ben is talking to her about the declaration of independence so they both say both riley and abigail say i will but we don't know which one ben means like was he talking to riley about abigail i feel like i want to probably I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and feel like these freaky, freaky Freemasons refer to documents with she, her pronouns (laughs) like they do with fucking boats and buildings. Uh I feel like he is like the the Declaration of Independence identifies she, her, which, first of all, don't tell the Declaration of Independence how they identify. Right. We don't know. We don't know. Don't gender (sighs) a piece of paper that a bunch of men touched. I know, gross, grubby hands on, ugh, dirty. So that's a very brilliant critique we both had. Uh. <laughs> anyway, the point is, she, yeah, she has to be saved many times, constantly damseled, and then foisted into the like. Okay, now she's with Nicholas Kate. Like they're together, and you're just like, oh, God. And at the end, they move into this huge stone house or whatever. Mm. And also, the math does not like. Okay, I didn't do the math, but they estimate that the treasure is worth ten billion dollars, mm-hmm. and then Riley gets one half of one percent, which would be millions of dollars, right? 
But he only gets a car. I know. I don't get it. I don't also, get it But I, I totally agree with you that, like, Riley is not credited properly, but more pressingly, Abigail is not credited, period. Oh! She simply doesn't lose her current job. I was furious. And, like, she's not unhappy, but she's just like... He's like, okay, I want, uh, here's my terms and conditions, Harvey Keitel. <laughs> Harvey Keitel's spinning his weird <laughs> ring. like his Freemasonry. Gross. Yeah, Ben is like, okay, I want the credit for the fine to go to the entire Gates family with the help of Riley Poole. But, like, Abigail was there the whole time helping them. Doesn't get credit at all. All he says is, no, like, he's... um, no criminal activity should go on her record, by the way. Like, I cannot believe he does not credit her for helping him find the treasure. Anything. Anything. It's, it's bad. It's really oh, bad. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now, Benjamin <laughs> Franklin Gates? I know BF. He's also oh, I wrote this down. Brilliant critique coming in. <laughs> Ready? He's the BFG. <laughs> big. He's literally friendly, the big friendly giant. giant. <laughs> except he's Benjamin Franklin Gates, which is worse. Um, <laughs> which is worse. Oh, okay. So this movie is exhausting. I love it. It is better than I thought it would be. I do enjoy it's it. So good. I love. I mean, it is a romp and a half. I mean, talk about a romp. Half the <sighs> things. I feel like, as with most romps, most of the things that do happen don't necessarily make sense. Mm-hmm. But it's such a good romp that you don't even care. It doesn't matter. It's just right. good. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I think maybe two other women have very short short moments on I screen. Had three. Oh, okay. So I I had there's the woman who is. Abigail's like assistant or receptionist or whatever. There's the woman in the market in Philly where Abigail, which I think is an interesting scene, maybe worth talking about, where Abigail is running from Sean Bean's cronies and she hides behind this like counter. And this woman says, If you're not a steak, you don't belong here. And Abigail's like, I'm trying to hide from my ex husband. The woman responds with a domestic violence joke. Yeah. yeah, She's like, honey, you can stay here as long as you like. And I was like, okay, that's a really nice moment of like a woman helping another woman in a moment of need. But those, Mm -hmm. those were the only two women I noticed. Was there another one? There was an FBI woman as well who says silence do good aloud. Right. Uh, Harvey Keitel has a female employee that speaks several times and is seen several times, but we never know what her name is or anything like that. I take issue with that whole deli scene in general, because mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like there is like very much a uh, racial trope going on there yes. as well. The two women of color we see are like service workers there for a punchline, which almost feels like it's pulled from the Michael Bay playbook, which mm. hello Bruckheimer. It's a right. Bruckheimer play as well. Where they're just kind of there to like provide the white lead with like a funny moment. And on top of that, the joke that's kind of being made is like, oh, she's running from her abusive ex-husband. Ha ha. Like, yeah. So that, I mean, that, that was just like stinky for me through and through. I guess it didn't occur to me that they were playing it as a joke, but I can see that now. So that is not great. Because all the the woman says is like, whew, I wouldn't want to be married to him either. And you're like, that's not, 
funny. I yeah, they do kind of end that on like that little comedic button, if you will. Yeah, I mean, if this weren't a romp, you would hope that another woman would be like, "Can I help you?" Instead right. of offering you a piece of raw meat and being like, "Yikes, he seems mean." Um, <laughs> but this movie just isn't well written. So, no. and they're only talking about men, and we never find out what her name is. Sawyer. Yeah. Whoopsies. But before we we dive further into the Bechdel test discussion, just a few fun things. Mm -hmm. So Nicolas Cage is trying to find the password to open the door in like the archive building or whatever, wherever they are, where the Declaration of Independence is where they're like trying to steal it from. Mm -hmm. Justin Bartha is listing off several anagram possibilities that like mm -hmm. the letters could form based on like the fingerprints, the letters that like the fingerprints have touched. Um, so just a good time. Or something. Oh, or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is a perfect time. Uh, speaking of anagrams, to remind everyone that Caitlin Durante anagrams to such things as Latin dancer UTI, Lauren D. Titanic. And speaking of Titanic, did you notice, Jamie, that... In the beginning, when they are going down into the Charlotte after they've like uncovered yeah. it in the ice and it's like bluish and they're like walking through. Did it not remind you of the beginning of Titanic it with like Bill Paxton? Oh, I had it written down. I was uh, OK. Wait, what did I write down? I had a cute little note. OK, here's my note. Kind of like the beginning of Titanic. A big treasure is found, but then the treasure isn't what it seems. But what if this movie, like, what if Titanic went like that? Like, instead of, like, starting to talk to Rose, the whole movie was just about, like, was, like, national treasure, but it was about the Titanic. And it was just Bill Paxton being like, I'm going to steal the Titanic. Oh, my God. Amazing. There's a message on Titanic. And if you squeeze a lemon on the Titanic, there's a nap. <laughs> Um, especially because Bill Paxton is another actor like Nicolas Cage, who when he acts and when he when he's like doing line reads, like they are absurd ninety nine percent of the time. Like he oh, would have turned in a similar performance, so that would have been perfect. Also, just like visually, it looked so much like that scene in Titanic when they're like going through with like the Snoop Dogg vision um, mm -hmm. little submarine with the camera and stuff and like going through in and out of the ship and I was like oh my god this looks exactly like Titanic when they're going through the Charlotte anyway right so back to the anagrams um, we've got Lauren D Titanic we've got nine tit Dracula we've got mm. tan clarinet IUD we've got here's a new one I just tweeted this the other day rude Italian cunt, but whoa, that one is why yo. But cunt spelled with the U. Instead, it's like a little asterisk because I don't have two U's in my name, and the U is taken up with rude. So it's like oh. C asterisk N T. I'll allow it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. So that yeah, those are some just important anagrams to be aware of in case my name is ever a clue for something and you need to like anagram it. Um, it is big national treasure energy to include anagrams. <laughs> I know, right? I had a really quick context corner on um, Freemasons. Oh yes, 
just because um, this movie, I mean, this movie also doesn't seem to know anything about the Freemasons. So I didn't, I didn't like tire myself doing research for this, honestly. But just, I, I mean, famously, Freemasons do not allow women in the group. It is like this mysterious group that I'm pretty sure is just like uncles talking to each other about fucking nothing. <laughs> um my uncle's a Freemason and I'm like, they're like, I, I don't know. I've never, I've asked him and he's like, I can't tell you. And then you're like, all right, whatever. Oh. Like, but I'm pretty sure it's just uncles talking about whatever. Uh, <laughs> but there, it's supposed to be this big secretive thing. It's existed for as long as, um, this iteration of America, which is going really well, I think. <laughs> Anyways, Freemasonry and what, but I thought that from the beginning, women weren't allowed and that was not the case. Mm. Um, there is a whole, uh, like sub website devoted to women's history and Freemasons. So they were not a lot, like they weren't encouraged to join, but there were some like multi-gender branches of the Freemasons towards the beginning. And then it wasn't until the late 1800s that it was a hard rule that women could not participate. Um, but there was a whole system for women entering. They could they qualified to be apprentice or female apprentices. So you could be a female apprentice, a journey woman, a mistress, or a perfect masoness. And I don't know what any of these mean, but these were the four roles that women could have until the late 1800s when they were like, actually, get them out. But there's a, there's a whole, there's like even a few famous female Freemasons, um, but there hasn't been one in 130 years because men be excluding people. It's true. There was also a question conflict that came up in 2018 about um, transgender women and Freemasonry in England. It was this whole big thing. Um, so here is a quote that the United Grant Lodge of England released, and I don't love the wording of this, but this is how they phrased it. Okay. Uh, it says, quote, a Freemason who after initiation ceases to be a man does not cease to be a Freemason. So you see what they're saying, but the wording of it is is, I don't like it. Oh, right. Yeah, there's some, like... Misunderstanding. Yeah, misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, but that was the conclusion that they came to. So trans women can be Freemasons if they were Freemasons pre-transition. Very... Com I'm like, I, how many could people... I mean, I, I don't know how many people this applies to, but... Oh, true. There it Hard is. I'm just saying. I think the French Freemasons is, like, the group that low-key lets women in. But in America, definitely still no. England, they had all the, the all the questions around um, trans people and Freemasons, and that's all I care to know about. Sure. It's a stupid club. Um, but I wonder, are there any Bechtel cast listeners who are Freemasons? If so, <laughs> what the fuck? And uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so basically, are we to understand that the Gates family are all like Ben Gates and his many ancestors are all Freemasons or are they just I think so yeah trying to find the treasure okay but that also makes you wonder like why aren't they involving the Freemasons I don't know uh, right he's just like well I've got one sidekick who may or may not be a squirrel so like that's all I need and then this woman that I've kidnapped who then becomes my girlfriend nice which even yeah. like Riley pull comments on at the end. He's like, well, you know, you got this huge house and you got the girl and all I got was this f Ferrari or whatever the Sick fuck. car. 
<laughs> it would be it would have been way cooler if a squirrel was driving the car. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes were made. Yeah. It's like when those when those hamsters drive the Kias. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what a weird reference, Jamie. There <laughs> I don't I think about those hamsters a lot. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we have fun. The uh, the team on this movie, directed by this will surprise no one, but um, directed by a man, John, John Turtle Tob. Uh, yeah. We've got um, several writers and story by credits, but all of them are men except for um, Marion Wiberly. So we're not surprised that the treatment of women is what it is in this movie. I I would be like, I, Marion, come on the podcast. Were you trying to advocate more for Abigail to be, you know, a stronger, more active character? Were you shut down? What happened there? I'd yeah. like to well, know. I, well, I mean, for sure. I mean, f- female writers are shut down uh, almost exclusively. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be interesting to hear like the ins and outs of like what was okay to pitch, what wasn't, what went over well, what didn't. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Marianne's got stories. Come on the pod. Anytime. Open invite. Caitlin. Yes. Does this movie pass the bites on I'm going to say a big, hard no on it's that. It's a no from me as well. It's a no. There are those couple interactions that she does have with another woman, but those are characters who are not named. They only have an exchange that is very minimal and could have been taken out of the movie. Like There was no attempt to meaningfully include women in this story at all, and that includes Abigail's character because, as we discussed, she does really nothing except for get dragged along and um contribute none of her expertise or anything like that yeehaw as far as our nipple scale rating zero to five nipples based on its representation of women i mean i'll give it a half nipple for you know again this happens a lot too especially in this genre of film where the one female character who they do choose to include at all is not a bad character like when you just isolate her and you know examine her as an individual you know they often are perfectly competent and smart and you know we know what their jobs are they're good at their jobs things like that but her role in the story is so minimal in terms of what she's allowed to contribute narratively and then also um, the things that happen to her like having to be saved three times being surprised kissed being foisted into the love interest role all those things Mm. really are extremely frustrating kind of every every mistake in the book and by mistake i mean it was done very on purpose but like (laughs) yeah every action trope in the book as it pertains to women is made in national treasure and i have a feeling that because it's like a children family like it's geared toward a wider audience it's like a pg rated film oh for sure um i think that that's probably why we don't get more like fridging and violence toward her but i think if it were like a pg-13 or an r-rated movie we would have 
scene, like violence enacted against her and things like that. But because it's, so I guess, you know. It's a Disney movie, so we can't, we can't hit her, (sighs) but we can just not write her. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you. I'll I'll go a half nipple as well. Uh, Who who are you giving your nippy to? Um, Well, you presented um, an interesting scenario of Justin Bartha being a squirrel. I wonder how many Uh nipples squirrels have. But I'm going to give (laughs) my half nipple to the squirrel version of Riley Poole. I'll do the same. One full <laughs> nipple for the squirrel. Hurrah. Yay. And 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 there you have it, gang. The first quarantined episode of the Bexel cast. I feel good about it. I had fun. I had a blast. What a treat. And I think, Jamie, I don't know about you, but I found some treasure in this episode. I think this episode is a treasure. <laughs> and we had well, to uncover I, it. See, I, I feel like, you know, because we're going to keep doing it for me. It's just another clue. <laughs> and that's going to lead to another clue. And that's going to lead to another clue. <laughs> These clues being episodes? Other episodes we're going to do? Jesus. Is that what you mean? I'm going to start referring to episodes as clues. <laughs> so on this clue, we're going to be covering Moonstruck. <laughs> what if oh, we should cover the movie Clue? <gasps> I love the movie Clue. Oh, oh man, that would be such a fun it. quarantine episode, too. Ooh, okay. What other one were we thinking about doing? We were thinking about doing um, Crossroads. Crossroads would be... I mean, there's some heavy shit in Crossroads, but it would still be a fun one. I've never seen it. A bunch of people were tweeting that we should do Armageddon right now. You know, something to think about. (laughs) Sure. You know what? I'm not going to say no. No. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. You can uh, follow us on social media at all the places, especially Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. Um, Now is a great time if you haven't already and if you're able to financially join our patreon aka matreon because you've you'll get access to more content more episodes of the bechtel cast if you're breezing through these main feed episodes you know burning right through them and you need some more we've got a bunch of good stuff on the matreon and there's been a couple of people asking us what is the best way to financially support us during this stuff we're fine but uh the patreon is the way the patreon matreon is the way to do it indeed yes and with that well this clue like you said jamie it's not over the search for the bechtel treasure treasure (laughs) it's speculated that cartoonist allison bechtel has a hidden treasure (gasps) and her books and you have to get all of her books and read them or what if we've been laying out clues in every episode what if every time i say like cat facts with caitlin or every time you say here's what role alfred molina should have played what if it's a cipher that was a cipher this whole time (gasps) you'll have to figure it out listeners (laughs) yeah just uh just keep finding those clues that we've been sprinkling into the episodes Bye. bye It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. 
I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.